What is hypocrisy? And what does it mean to serve a God that has a universal morality for all people and between all people? We look around our world and there's a lot of things which want to exert themselves as idols, but we are called to something higher, something that is pure and something which has eternal value. Thank you for joining me. I'm Pastor J. Dylan Proctor, and there's one other with me here in the studio. Hello, I'm John Mills. Glad to be here today. And it's always a superb pleasure to have John here with us. I'm going to ask if John would open us up in prayer, and then we'll dive right into our conversation for today. Um, I hand it over to John. <laughs> Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we do thank you, Lord, for this day that you've given us. We thank you for your love for us and for your salvation and your plans for us. And we just ask that you would uh, help us today as we deal with these subjects to grasp, to grasp your truth in your name. Amen. Amen. So hypocrisy is a very important topic within the church. And you often hear that people talk about hypocrisy often and more or less it's an objection to the church. They say, oh, well, I don't want to go to church because there's hypocrites. Would you say that's a fair assessment of where most conversations of hypocrisy come from? I think so. You know, that, uh, that that's always been a, a criticism of the church, that there are so many hypocrites in it. Yeah. And so, yeah, it usually comes from that angle. Yeah, that's usually the flavor of conversation you get when you're talking about hypocrisy. But I want us to take this conversation to a deeper meaning and to actually discuss what the concept is and how we as Christians, we should live by a unified morality. Um, and for us to really get to the conversation of the the notion of hypocrisy, I want us to talk a little bit about the Trinity, a little bit about idolatry, and I also want to share a little bit of scripture out of Matthew 18. Um, and just to dive into that, so let's talk about the Trinity real quick. The Trinity is something which is fairly mysterious, and I think John would agree with that, that it's fairly a mysterious thing. Oh, yes. Um, but at the same time, we are able to know a little bit about it, even if we may not be able to explain everything away. Is that fair? I think so. I think we can get a grasp of it without really being able to nail everything down. And and that is sufficient to have faith. You know, you don't have to have all the explanations and understandings of the Trinity to have faith. You can you can say, I believe, help my unbelief, and that will suffice. Um, and I think it's also fair to say if somebody does say they have all the answers regarding the Trinity, they're probably a heretic. You think that's? Probably, yeah. Yeah. Um, well, with the Trinity, I used to teach it using little synthesizers. I would put up on a board and I'd put on the Bob Ross wig and I would show how you can take the three synthesizers and with a cable plug them all together so they're all at the same tempo and they'll play a song together. Um, you basically have to press play on one of them and the three of them will go together. And, you know, there's a singular piece of music they're doing at a single tempo. They all work together. The sequences, they all loop together. And with the Trinity, when you look at God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, they have a singular purpose, a singular kingdom, and a singular path of salvation. And what I mean by that is they don't have warring agendas with one another. It's not like God the Father desires something that the Holy Spirit doesn't, um, and Jesus has a kingdom over here that's at war with the, the Father. Um, and it's not like one can say, well, I want to be saved by the Holy Spirit, but not by God the Father. You know, you're not Marcion of Sinope. And one of the things which is found with that is when you serve a God that is revealed to you in that way, there is universal morality for all people and between all people. In other words, you don't say, well, I believe in God the Father who says, you know, it's good 
to to honor your father and mother, but the Holy Spirit says you don't do that and you can kill your brother if you hate them. You know, that that's not how Christianity works at all. There is a same morality between all of them. Is that kind of a fair pinpoint? I'll, I'll let John respond to that before we get into idolatry real quick. Yeah, I think that's I think that's a good way to put it. You know, in the Trinity, we see God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, all existing together. And really, the idea of the Trinity is their their relationship with one another. And it, we can't really put it into words, but the idea that they they are all mutually glorifying one another, supporting one another. You know, there's no difference between sure. uh, each member and their their aims and and. Well, we shouldn't even really say there because the Trinity is not a there. The Trinity is is a single entity. Yeah. And so it, it's hard to put it into words. It but is. <laughs> the, the big idea, I think, is the relationship between the two, yeah. uh, between the three, and how, how the three are always uh, mutually glorifying each other. Yeah. And thank goodness our our God is merciful because it is hard to put in words. It, I find it easier to put to music than I do to words. Oh. Um, myself. That's why I revert back to using little synthesizers to discuss this because it's a lot easier for me to demonstrate that because I know I'm going to slip up. I know like the correct terminology is the three persons revealed. Um, and it, again, it, it there can be a lot of holes you get in, but in truth, as long as you get the general framework, there is something you learn from it though. Just as the three persons of the Trinity, they're not at war with one another and as John kind of says, you're you're not going to there, there is a sameness between them. You shouldn't even say kind of there because there's a, a singular existence that they have, a singular relationship, and that kind of is what defines them. And of course they're they're beyond human definition. So again, not trying to get in that hole. But also, we should not have different moralities between ourselves. We, we don't play the game where we have a standard here, a standard there. And that's where the concept of hypocrisy really comes in. And one of the things which really does set Christianity apart from the idols of the world, the paganism and polytheism, and this is one of the ways that you know Christianity is monotheistic as opposed to polytheistic. Because a lot of people will say, well, you have three gods, don't you? How could that be monotheistic? Well, my answer to that is, well, when you see real monotheism, there is a different morality for each god. You look in ancient Greece, you know, Zeus wants something different than Athena. You please Poseidon different than you do the gods that have, you know, terrestrial domain. And you look in Egypt, Horus is, is served differently than, say, the god Ray. And you find this even in Eastern religions like Hinduism and so forth and so on. You find that there is a different morality, and you can pick and choose. Um, what standards you want to live by. Do you want to serve this God over here, that one over there? But in Christianity, you you can't do that. So, John, what are your thoughts on that? Is, is that being a, a way to clearly kind of assert that Christianity is monotheistic? Does that does that work, or does I just sound crazy when I talk about that? No, I, I think that works. You know, the idea of, of separate gods, each God has their own agenda, each God has their own aims, their own goals, uh, the story of the gods are is all about the competition between them and the struggle between them. Yeah. And there is none of that in the Trinity because yeah. they all exist as one united presence. And so they all exist uh, uh, at glorifying one another uh, in, a, in a mutual expression of love and submission to one another. 
and it it's kind of a beautiful thing. C.S. Lewis referred to it as a dance, really, yeah. between Father, Son, and Spirit that are engaged in this constant uh, relationship of supporting and affirming, so that it's all united as one. There is no competition and 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 difference between the three. Yeah, and that's that's a a vital point to really show that there's no competition because that's really what you find. You look in ancient Egypt, ancient Rome, a lot of times the gods, they're like killing one another, sticking them in a coffin and shipping yeah. it down the river or something like that. Um, there is that perpetual competition they have for meaning, and it kind of leaves people in, in a place where there's no universal morality. So let's jump into hypocrisy now that we've kind of set those parameters and that framework out there. And I'm going to make a distinction here at the beginning, and that's really where I want our conversation to go, is hypocrisy is not just a failure that someone has. If someone comes in and they say, well, this is what I believe the biblical worldview is. This is how I believe I should live. This is what is holy. This is what is sin. But say they come in and they've had a slip up. Um, you can really insert any of the sins. Say, say somebody gets covetousness in their heart. Um, maybe they slip back in and maybe they steal something at Walmart. Maybe they go inside and they say, well, you know, there's all this stuff going on. Other people are, are doing things. I'll just, you know, I'll just take this shirt and stick it down in my, my, you know, bag that I've got with me and nobody will know. But say that person feels guilty about it and they, they confess and they go and they, they kind of make the return and things of that nature. You know, that would be a specific failure more than it might be someone who lives as a hypocrite. True hypocrisy is kind of like polytheism or idolatry in the sense where you say, well, when I'm dealing with this topic or with this group of people or on this subject, there's morality for this area, but that morality doesn't apply over here. You know, people do this with politics a lot, and they also do this with really the different arenas we have in life. We'll separate off like our artistic endeavors and say, well, you know, it's not really sin to look at it if it's over there. It's not really sin to to hate people if they, they have a different politic than you. Um, but that that's true hypocrisy where you have different morals for different people in different situations. And, and it's a form of idolatry, really, I would say. And I'll just let John kind of respond to that and see see what your thoughts are. Hypocrisy really is where you have different standards and different arenas in life. And say you're the preacher, you come and preach, you know, you should be married from the pulpit on Sunday, but then you go home and you, you involve in prostitution or something like that, and you're fine with it. You don't ever repent, and you don't feel guilty about it. What, what, what are your thoughts on that? Does that sound like a clear definition of hypocrisy, those multiple versions of morality? I think so. I think so. Really, you know, hypocrisy is is a break with reality. It's trying to pretend that uh, that reality is something different from what it is. There is only one reality, and I'm lined up with that, and I have integrity, or then I'm a hypocrite, and I am pretending that there is a separate reality. Uh, I'm pretending, you know, that there are multiple realities. And so, really, you know, that, that to me, that's kind of what hypocrisy comes down to. You use the words there of multiple realities. And that, that really is kind of what I'm going with with the whole idolatry mon or polytheism is there are different domains. You know, you can move from one reality to the next. And again, whenever people are doing true hypocrisy, they kind of feel like they're an idol themselves. They get to choose what reality they're in whenever they want to. They get to choose 
kind of like Jonah wants to when he says, you know, well, I'll go to Tarshish instead of Nineveh. Um, I get to be the one who who chooses which reality I'm in, which idol am I serving. Um, and I think that's one of the reasons why I the notion of hypocrisy is such a, a, a it has such a terrible impact on the world around because it, it really has a selfish level idolatry there where you say, I get to be the one who chooses the reality. I get to be the one who chooses the way that I'm living. Is that, I'll, I'll let you respond to that too. Okay. Yes, I I think so. You know, when we are hypocrites, we are insisting that our way of seeing reality is true. But uh, what we are presenting is not reality. You know, yeah. the, the point of hypocrisy is we are presenting a false front, something that's fake. And so we there is only one ultimate reality. And when we present something else that's not reality, you know, we fall into this trap of, of being hypocritical. Yeah. And now that we've kind of talked about it a little bit, I want us to discuss how do we get past this problem? Because it is something which is a very big problem in the world, not just within the church, but also with without. You find in our world that there really are a lot of people who want to serve different idols. They want to serve different realities. And that's that's not how God designed us to live. I want us to go actually to Matthew chapter 18. And I want to begin in verse 15. And I actually think this gives us some pointers on how we can get past this sort of problem and help people in our world have eyes to see how they should live by the one true God and not just the idols of the world around us. In Matthew chapter 18, verse 15, it says, If another member of the church sins against you, go and point out the fault between when the two of you when you are alone. And if the member listens to you, you have regained the one. But if you are not listened to, take one or two others along with you so that every word may be confirmed by the evidence of the two or three. And if the member refuses to listen, tell it to the church. And if the offender refuses to listen, even to the church, let one be to you such as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly, I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, truly, I tell you, if two of you on earth about everything you agree and anything you ask, it will be done by my Father in heaven. For two or three are gathered in my name, I will be there among you. And then I don't want to to go too much further, but this it's important to put this reproving of sins in context because Peter then comes and asks a very important question about this. He says, all right, Lord, if another member of the church sins against me, how often should I forgive them? And Jesus responds, he says, as, as many as seven times seven. And Jesus says, not seven times, but I tell you 70 times. So Jesus says, the standard is to pursue forgiveness. And this morality, even though they're talking about life within the church, this is talking about life with, with this is the this is the tool, this is the methodology with how we reproach and we reprove. It is bigger than just a conflict between two or three people, but Jesus is showing us the metric with how you actually resolve problems. You shine light on the problem, and you know, if people they respond to it, then you have regained one. If you shine light on the problem, people don't want to hear it, then you kind of expand out, you bring a few more in. And in the end, your pursuit is that you can gain one or perhaps regain one. We know that Jesus would, would also um, encourage the bringing in of the Gentiles and tax collectors. He's not saying this is only for the church, but this is the technique that Jesus shows for resolving this issue. And John, I'll let you respond to this scripture. 
Well, I, I think you're right. It gives us a very straightforward approach to, to trying to reclaim those that we are in conflict with. You know, by going to them uh, individually, and then if that doesn't work, uh, by bringing others in uh, to get others involved in the process. Uh, but, you know, as, as Jesus pointed out to Peter, the idea is to get the reconciliation no matter what, yeah. no matter what it takes. And it's not just reconciliation by worldly means. This is reconciliation before your Father in heaven. It's that you will be unified for holy purposes. It's not for the sense that you come along and somebody says, well, all right, I'll reconcile with you if you'll come and get in the gutter with me. Um, This is a holy reconciliation that says you're moving close to God and you are looking above. And I know, I think you, have you used the C.S. Lewis quote on reaching for heaven and you'll get earth thrown in? No, I don't think so. Somebody has said that recently. Um, are you even familiar with that statement? No, no, I'm not. Oh, well, now I've made myself look like a fool. <laughs> well, anyways, we'll kind of wrap that up there. I don't know if you have any final thoughts on this, John, about the, the goal of, of getting beyond hypocrisy, the goal of, of true reconciliation. Um, I'll let you share them or close us in prayer. I'll just let you wrap it up. Okay. Well, I think it's important, you know, this idea of, of avoiding hypocrisy and reconciling to each other to form to form a true community to form a community where we are united together and then united with God and to do that we have to come to ultimate reality which is in God yeah. and so we can't insist on our own definitions of reality we can't insist that things are the way we want them to be but we have to see things as they as they truly are uh, because we are members of one body. And so if we remain split and divided, uh, we end up just harming ourselves yep. and, you know, keeping ourselves from what God intended for us to be. Well, let's close with the word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your truth to us. We thank you that you are ultimate reality and that you have revealed yourself to us, that we can know ultimate reality because we can know you and that, that you are a very real presence and, and uh, a purpose in our lives. And we ask that you would help us as we go throughout this week to glorify you in everything that we do in your name. Amen. Amen.